Hello and welcome to Scott Rock. Where your hosts from Climb Scotland, Robert McKenzie and me, Cal McBain, catch up with climbers every two weeks who have different epic tales to tell us. We hope you enjoy the show. And remember, when you're out climbing, be safe and do your buddy checks. Welcome back to Scott Rock. You're back with Robert. This is part two with the legend that is Myrtle Simpson. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the last episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, pause, go and get a cup of tea and listen to that one before this one. You won't regret it. Anyway, we're just going to dive straight into it. Here we go. Part two with Myrtle Simpson. What are we talking about? Yeah, how did the anyway? How did the Greenland trip come about then? Because you you came back from Peru, married Hugh. I married then. Apparently, people had been um, betting here yeah. as to which of the guys had married <laughs> Billy or Hugh. <laughs> anyway, I married Hugh. He'd got because of his his whole family had been um, inventors. Yeah. Have you ever heard of? Um, um, J.Y. Simpson, who oh, yeah. invented... Well, he didn't invent chloroform, but the use of chloroform. That's a rally of Hughes. And oh, they've wow. all been inventors. And it, Hugh was into his research and, was, you know, his mind. It, Hugh'd yeah. never do um, anything normal. or always had to be a new <laughs> invention. You know, if you notice this table, if you'd put the tray on, it might have tipped. Yeah. Well, if Hugh was around, he would already have gone out and got a piece of wood and hammered it. In, Fixed the table, made fit, it perfect. You know, yeah. always, Sounds like my kind of man. Be, well, exactly, all that sort of thing. <laughs> what are we talking about? How did we get how to Peru? Get, yeah, how did you get from Peru oh, to, to, Greenland. to Greenland then? Well, that was because after Peru, I did marry Hugh. Yeah. And I married Hugh rather than Billy, who is now dead, as is all his progeny. So I can actually say, I think Hugh got it, as far as I was concerned, because of, I, I just loved his lively mind. Yeah. And he was... Always, well, you know what it's like when you're with somebody that's minds always it's just always working. You know, always. and you think, oh, I like well, like that guy Benji. Yes. If you took you, yeah. me- I immediately took to Benji, and we're great pals now. How old is he? Twenty, perhaps. I don't think he's had his twenty-first. Oh, anyway, he was just man. like always on the on the go, isn't he? Yeah. Constantly, always on the next. And the project. first time you meet him, he's got his mattress that he's taken out of his B and B Airbnb to put at the bottom of the climb, and then the next time he's got. A, you know, the next, he's got up a step and found it. You can buy these things made of whatever. And now he's invented the ultimate lightweight mattress that yeah. you roll out and you put in your shove in your rucksack, and then it springs open. So if you fall off your, he's only interested yeah. in climbing his boulders. Only boulders. Only yeah. boulders. And anyway, Hugh was a bit like that. Anyway, yeah. so I married Hugh. Now I reckoned, you know, cl- climbing was my thing. I, um, Climbing air, mountain areas, any of that. Yeah. But Hugh, of course, had had this fantastic experience of four years in the Antarctic, yeah. three years, three summers and four winters. And he had done the most amazing distances, you know, hundreds of miles more than anyone else because he was a doctor. He went there as a medic. All right, okay. So he was the med, he could travel. And he had his own dog, the medic had a dog team. And so he, you know, he only had to say, "Oh, I want to go up that there and there and there," because, you know, he had he could he do, could do, do that wanted. because yeah. he was the medic. He wasn't held down to being a, 
the weather or a geologist yeah. or anything like that. So Hugh had the most amazing three years, three summers and four winters traveling in the Antarctic and, you know, put behind him a huge mileage. And if you go to the Scott Polar Research Institute, for instance, or somewhere like that, you'll see that it's his photos that are everywhere because he was the only one that took a decent camera. Took a good camera, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, he came back and all he was really interested in, well, he wasn't, he couldn't care less about the mountains, but Arctic, that was another matter. Flat and cold. Because nobody, no, nobody was going to Greenland. Yeah. Well, very few people were going to Greenland. Scientists were, getting, were interested, and there was, a, for instance, a geologist from St Andrews Uni who went to Greenland numerous times because he was just fascinated by the geology. Yeah. So much so that um, St Andrews University actually had a hut that any students could use on the east coast of Greenland. I mean, that was unheard of. Do they not still have it? Yes, it's right. now yeah. any university can do it. Ah, oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, your guys from west of Scotland could use that hut. We took twice on different journeys. We took medical... Hugh asked wanted guinea pigs. Yeah. And he said to his medical year, one year, anybody want to come to Greenland? And he needed 12 people. Yeah. And I think 300 wanted... <laughs> and I chose who came. And that oh. happened twice. You know, another time we did it. And, of course, and we, uh, I'm still in touch. Those students still, well, they know that Hugh's in the care home. Yeah. They knew it was my birthday. I bet some of those cards Lindsay's talking about will be from some of them. And suddenly remember, oh, it's Myrtle's birthday. Greenland, well, Nansen's was always a hero of mine. Yes. Yeah. sort of slight yeah. diversion. Have you heard of Nansen? Yes. I was astounded when, with this film. I often started by saying, incidentally, who's heard of Nansen? None of none of, no British showing no has heard of Nansen. <laughs> anyway, he was my great hero because he well, do you know about him, you know, and he he crossed Greenland. He, he was, the, he was first the first to cross, to cross Greenland. Greenland, yeah. And well, you know how everybody knows about um Scott not getting to the pole yeah, and yeah. getting oh, why, why was he because he didn't I grew up on those stories. All those stories, exactly. Yeah. Well Nansen's the same north. Right. He crossed Greenland. How no, you know how? And his book wasn't translated into English until eighteen, whatever the date was. It was a hundred years anyway. I can't remember what year we went to Greenland, but anyway, it was a hundred years since Nansen's book right. of crossing Greenland had been translated. So it was in all the press and so on. All you know, everybody was interested in this, and so we thought. Let's see if we can, with our equipment, with his equipment, cross Greenland. Because repeat people the will journey. Begin, you repeat the journey because other people were beginning... You were beginning to meet people that had been on an expedition and crossed, you know, been to the Antarctic yeah. or done something or other. And when you started asking, you realised they'd gone on a cruise ship and <laughs> gone anywhere near. Well, you meet, you know, you, yeah. it happens to me all the time I meet people. The luxury oh, expedition. Oh, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> For instance, Rena, the girl I was talking about, who didn't like the money, a hundred quid I gave her. I didn't mean to tell you how much wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to be furious if I told you that. Um, Rena cycled. When she graduated, she cycled from um, Tierra del Fuego yeah. to Alaska in, in a year to make money for Hughes Research. And I'm always meeting people now who say, yes, I've been, I've been cycling in, in Peru. I've cycled. And when you ask them, they've been there for a week. 
you know, it only took a year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's modern days. And then my, you know, Bruce tell, uh, tells me he's climbed this atta. I've never been, you know, I'd love to have a chance there. In more or less a couple of weeks. You know, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and they, and they still call it an expedition. And I had a bit of a, you know, thing about this. I thought, this is outrageous. How, you know, that's the wrong use of the It's not the same. Word. Not the and, same. But, you know, this is, that's why kids, are, you know, they're all being brought up in the nanny state and nobody, <laughs> you know what, you know, I, I used to think, what I used to say when I was you know, asked to give endless talks for schools and stuff, Who's been camping by themselves? Everybody in Scotland, whether you're living in central Edinburgh or central Glasgow or anywhere, has mm. got hills on their doorstep. Who's been camping there? And none of them have. And then I say, I bet your dads did. You know, or yeah, I say, yeah. who knows where North is? Remember one school in Fife. Who knows where North is? And one boy put up his hand and he said, my granddad takes me to see the birds. And we look North to see the, the, the swans coming back. You know, the other, they haven't got the faintest idea. I hope clue. your kids aren't like that. Uh, well, I hope not. Or you I try to teach them better. <laughs> well, you take them outside and you say, oh, look at the snowdrop. And modern uh, kids haven't the foggiest idea. You know, and I tell my grandchildren, that is called a buttercup. Got it? <laughs> <laughs> your pals at school won't know. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with the world. Oh. You know, and I've been saying up to yesterday, which yeah. is my 90th birthday, I don't care if I get this flipping gut thing. I don't want the new world. I'm not going to get involved with the new world again. I don't want it. I do, yeah. I'll just creep away and get the virus and the, that's the, the end of it. The new world's a bit soft. But Rona started calling this barbecue we had yesterday, not Mum's 90th birthday, but the... Um, I forgot look, the word anyway, anyway, because suddenly <laughs> I think yeah. our world is beginning to wake up and... Um, Perhaps, you know, there's still a lot, there's a lot of climbing to be done. There's and still climbing. loads to be it's done, good yeah. Brew. yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we got onto that, but... Yeah. So but, we thought that would be an interesting thing. Could we still, as Nansen had, not using any modern equipment, phones and all this stuff, it was a load of rubbish. If you're yeah. going on an expedition, surely our, ex- our generation Can could still, still do, do it. it. So that's exactly what we wanted to do. So yeah. we... Um, you could still get boats to Greenland because that's just how the locals got their, got their yeah. food in. And there have been a lot of scientific expeditions, particularly from Cambridge University. They had always been interested in the... It, they reckon yeah. they know about the geology of... And anyway, <laughs> Hugh, of course, was at Glasgow University, so that was beyond <laughs> the pale. So, and anyway, we went to... We thought we'd try... You know, to to do that, you could get there very cheaply in in yeah. one of these boats. You had to get to Copenhagen, which we did, and then you get a boat, boat from Copenhagen all the way. Out yeah, there. but then we actually took the boat to Iceland and then chartered a plane that would take us to where we wanted to start because we wanted to go to a place called Amarsvik, right, in the east side. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Nansen went from east to west. Now, most people go from west oh, the other way. to east because everybody lives on the west coast and there's 100 miles of tundra before you get to the ice cap. We want to do it Nansen's way. And also, I agreed with Nansen. I mean, the reason he did it was once you start from the east coast, you've got to get to the other side because nobody lives on the... Yeah. 
on the east coast, you've got to get west to get yeah. home again. You can't go back. There's no, nothing you can't. behind there's you. No, there's nothing behind you. Yeah. And there's no fishing. There's nothing like that. So everybody so starts... you have to go the other way. So all the various scientific expeditions and so on, yeah. they all go to the west coast. Yeah. Because you can turn back if it gets too well, bad. Well, that's where people live and you can yeah. charter a boat. Or, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still the same. You guys want the event... The, the, coast, the coastline, there's a few mines further north, but... Um, anyway, in, at that time, so we flew to Amarsalik, which has got a little airport on it on an island, which the Americans built to refuel their planes mm. during the war. They came, they were involved in the, that's where they went, and they left this place. It then turned into a hospital, apparently, so that when the very badly injured, particularly burning, burnt injured, weren't flown back to America, they all stopped and they turned this airport into a hospital. Right, okay. So that they could get better before... They were before going home. home. Right. Okay. Anyway, it gave us a chance. It was a, you know, and we got the very first boat that went down the coastline and to re-give anybody that lived on the islands more food and stuff. Yeah. So we went early in the, in the season. You have to decide what time you're going um, because even in those days, it's the... Um, you know, it melts. Yeah. Nansen said, never go until the sun is up. Well, we thought, no, we'll we'll go earlier in the year where it's still frozen so that we can get to our start and then put up with, with the big melt when we got to the West Coast. Nansen did it the other way around. Anyway, as it turned out, we got, our, got to this island and we were going to spend about a week seeing if everything worked and yeah. so on. Um, and the first thing they said is, where's the dogs to, to us? Well, Hugh had had dogs in the Antarctic, so yeah. he, knew, you know, he, he knew why we hadn't got any dogs. First of all, it takes at least a year to train a dog team. Right. And when Hugh went to the Antarctic, the, the medic is given a dog team. And they stay for three years, and then they go away again. So the next medic has also to learn that it takes a year. I mean, it seems to me daft. That's beside the point. But we didn't have dogs. We were going to pull the sledge ourselves. Yeah. As all the early, earlier polar explorers, all those pre-war so they did it. 19 yeah. people, they, the Brits anyway, pulled the sledge. You know, right across the weather, you're talking about the North Pole or anything, yeah. they pulled their own sledge. So we didn't have any dogs. And a woman offered me dogs. Now, I often wish I'd said I'll come back and get it. <laughs> anyway, we didn't have dogs. We had to pull the sledge ourselves. And the yeah. boys knew about that. Now, we reckoned that four was the best number. We had Hugh, who knew his Antarctic. But he'd also been there with a sailor um, called um, Roger Tuft. Right. And Roger's quite well known in the sailing world because after that he sailed a lot with Mischief, um, the guy that owned Mischief. I've forgotten his name too, because I'm getting old and decrepit and just had my 90th birthday. And all brains, it's not just mind, apparently, forget. I bet your dad can't remember names. He could never remember names, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rog had sailed a terrific lot with this well-known yeah. sailor whose boat was called Mischief, and their endless book, Mischief and Patagonia. And yeah. Anyway, Rog had sailed with him. So we needed a good navigator because the centre of Greenland goes, goes um, you know, right up to 9,000 feet. 
So navigating, and you can't use your compass, of course, because you're way above the magnetic North Pole. You're yeah. about 152 miles above that. So you can't use the compass, it's no good. It's useless. Yeah. And um, your satellite, um, you, you just know, you just, it's very difficult. And it was very important to us, um, or else we'd still be there, because we had to cross Greenland in the coal to get down the far side, or else we'd still be it'd still be wandering north. right up there, yeah. So a navigator was very important, and, and Rog was the guide, because he was used to... The, to see navigation. Mm. And all he needed to know was if he knew what the time was. So we also had a little radio and always got into BBC right. thing to get the time. Anyway, we also were reckoned we needed a fourth strong person. So our friend Billy Wallace, who was a climbing friend of mine and had been to Peru with us, right. we said to Billy, um, you know, we're going to, how about coming to Greenland? And um, I think he'd got wind of this already because he'd already packed his rucksack. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy was at the ready. So it was Billy, Roger, Hugh and me. And people always say, oh, you know, I suppose you just went following in your husband's footsteps. But actually, oh, that, they said that when I got my per, this polar medal thing a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Well, Hugh actually had a polar medal from his Antarctic days. It was nothing to do with the journeys. <laughs> We'd made since I got married, but we always reckoned that everything, everybody owned, everybody, well, you know that, yeah. contributes just... Anyway, ours was always a day of primacies, not what you were talking about before, where you got so badly burnt. Mm. You know, the primus, in fact, if you took, if Hugh came out of his care home and we went camping for the weekend, he'd expect me to bring the primus, none of this newfangled oh, silly oh. stuff. And I bet your dad has a primus. Uh, I think he... Does I, I? I bet he'll agree with Hugh that they're far, far better than anything oh, yes. since. And we could carry six months' fuel, you know, on a in a one container. Yeah. Now, if you're going for the weekend, runners away climbing at the moment. Yeah. And I saw the luggage. They've got a whole big bag, and I said, "What's that? That's that's the the." Things, the, the gas the, bottles. The, the glass bottles and all this for the minuscule... They run out so fast. Ridiculous. So quickly. And, and anyway, so we had... I don't know why we're talking about that, but <laughs> the tent we took too was Hugh's tent. Right. Because he reckoned that his British Antarctic survey um, tent, as taken by Scott of the Antarctic, was the only one that was worth To do having. the job, yeah. So we lugged this tent, and we wanted to take the same, exactly the same sledge as Nansen had, because that actually was what is used by vids still in the Antarctic. Right, okay. And this is a complete sideline, but when I went with this film to Banff, to the Banff yeah. thing, a guy came up to me at the end, and he said, where did you get your sledge? And I, he was a very quiet guy because there'd been questions and answers, but he hadn't surfaced then at all. But he came, where did you get your sledge? And I said, oh, a friend of Roger's in, um, lived in the Lake District, right. Carpenter. And Roger knew exactly what he wanted, so he told this guy and he made us a sledge. And he said, that was oh, me. Right. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. And it, I was just so thrilled, thrilled to see him. And then he hadn't, you know, he hadn't said I was the guy. He hadn't yeah. done anything like that. So we just got into a corner and we started talking, of course, and the the woman, the person that 
sort of does it's called Leanne who yeah. actually made the film and she was she was my mentor and she was making signs at me, you know, <laughs> like this. And I real and I think <laughs> it was Rena that came out and said, Look, they want more questions, Mum, stop that. <laughs> so we had and I and then the guy just evaporated yeah. again after after oh, that. Wow. But anyway, making our sledge because it had no nails in it. Yeah. And this is what well, Scott had introduced from the British Antarctic Survey, and no, if you have nails, they'll all get affected by the cold, and the sledge will fall to bits. And you've yeah. got to be—you've yeah. got to be able to mend it. You know, there's no—you've just got to be able to do it. Yeah, do if, that. if it breaks, if you, you have to dogs. fix it, or you're stuck. So you don't have any nails. So our sledge, which is bits of it, are still out in the garage. And Roger had the sense there to see that bit of sledge thing up on the wall all right yeah that's what when we were heading for the north pole which we thought we could get to that's as far as he cut that bit off the sledge (laughs) anyway because we left the sledge there anyway so where did we get but the actual clothes we wore and so on yeah were nearly all antarctic right i mean sorry ex-army british army but by this time Spike had got his shop near, yes, he'd got his shop going by that time for, um, you know, never Nevis sports. Sport. Yeah. And Ventile had just oh, been right, invented. Okay, yeah. And Grinock, it was made, Blacks of Grinock, were the very, you know, made the first Ventile clothing, which mm. was windproof. Completely new idea. Because Nansen, of course, was wearing exactly like the locals. It was all skins. Yeah. And incredibly heavy. Really? So heavy. we immediately started off Far better, you know, we say we followed Nansen's footsteps, but we had got this great thing that our clothes just weighed pounds, whereas yeah. his weighed stone, you know, his equipment. And and it's all there still if you go to Norway, the various museums, you can yeah. see these sort of clothes still there, which are just really what the locals, local yokels were wearing, which were just so heavy. Yeah. Anyway, we with our new Ventar clothes and our tent and all the rest of it we reckoned and a radio that would get um, BBC get the time and war, yeah. um, world for the time you know it starts with that tune that everybody knows sings oh, and anyway it's yeah, still, they yeah. still have it in spite of the fact that the BBC seems to be wiped off the face of the <laughs> earth um, they still have that and anyway yeah, yeah. but we had to we hoped we'd start where Nansen did and so we hired a little fishing boat, and the guy said, well, you know, the, the ice is blowing in. I don't think we'll be able to go for weeks. And we said, no, 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 we've, we've got to get there. So the next morning he said, look, it's okay. The wind's blowing right, the ice will clear, and we'll get, get in. But then we saw him standing with his binos, you know, mm. shaking his head, and he said, we, we can't do it. We'll, wind's come in from both sides because we, Amastlik is on an island, I didn't yeah. explain that, but we had to get to the mainland. Wind is coming in from both sides. Ice is meeting. We we can't get any further. So we thought. And then Hugh said, well, if the boat can't break the ice, it must be strong enough for us. We'll just get off here. Yeah, and walk so across So we said, it. what do you... We said, J- just drop us here. So we sort of backed the boat and went on onto the ice. Yeah. And I've got... Well, you don't want slides or anything, but I've got slides of us having our last cup of coffee. And I think if the guy had offered me another cup of coffee, I might have said, OK, I'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we unloaded everything, and it looks so ridiculous. There's this 
fishing boat and then beside it this huge pile of equipment that looks like a grand piano and our sledge. <laughs> that all had to go on the sledge. And, and the boat, you know, set off, set off back. You had to go quick, quick before. So we helped get it off the ice and off yeah. it went. And a lot, because the, it was, um, well, it was, the snow was melting. You never quite knew if a pool of water was just a foot deep or inches or, deep yeah. or right down into the sea. And I remember just wondering about that when a seal head suddenly, <laughs> and I thought, uh-oh. And Roger said, it is the sea. <laughs> yeah, that one's deep. That's the sea. That one's deep. Don't go in that one. <laughs> Don't go in that one. <laughs> anyway, and of course we kept finding that, you know, already the, the melt was coming. Yeah. And, and it was never mentioned at the time, but this was the beginning of global warming. But no scientists had actually turned... quite figured it out yet. To it, but the, the, the weather had changed since Nansen's day, and we could not get ashore. And we kept having to go further north and further north so we could act, you know it was just there but between us was this open water right but eventually it looked as if we could get get in so in spite of roger's feet being sodden at one point that one that last evening came when we were camping on the mainland yeah and, and that was a, a great moment off the sea ice. and in those days of course we didn't you didn't talk about bears but in the morning i saw these enormous footprints pad, you know five pads that size Oof. I said to Rog, look, Rog, what is that? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> of course, it's a, it's a polar bear. <laughs> but that's as close as the bear. We never, never saw any, you don't actually we never see saw one. any bears on that oh, trip. Oh, wow. Anyway, the, the trouble is then, of course, it's not crossing the ice cap. It's getting through the mountain range. Yeah, yeah. And because we'd flown into our muscle, we'd I don't know whether you ever went to Sunday school, but Sunday schools always sang a hymn in Greenland's icy mountains. Right. And I think every... A huge number of children <laughs> knew that. And if, any, if anybody had said to them, you know, what's Greenland got? Icy mountains? Yeah. Well, it jolly well had. Oh, yeah, big ones. And here were the icy mountains. And they're actually about 20 miles deep. Right. So you, that is your first hazard. And this was the East Coast, so we didn't know that, yeah. really. Nansen... Well, of course, Nansen described that, but um, we weren't where Nansen was. You know, we were further north Way and further all north, the rest. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so we, you know, we spent a long time getting Picking up through, your way the mountains through the mountains until at last we realised um, this wasn't a berg, this wasn't another crevasse. It was a bergschrund, which meant that if we crossed this gap, we'd actually be on the ice cap. It was ice. It wasn't a glacier slithering off it downhill. Right, yeah. And one of our problems was it, it was much, much warmer than we expected. And I had to cut the tail end off my shirt to make a... Perfect for the moment with the virus. A yash <laughs> out of it. Fa- oh, um, because I, my li- li- it was heat, not frost. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like the Alps when you haven't put any lip salve on, you yeah. know, and everything cracked. It, it, it was the sun that was doing that, not the cold. Wow. And every time we stopped... We realised that we had to had to lose weight. We'd never get to the far side, the four of us pulling that sledge, unless it, we had to make things lighter. lighter. Yeah. So Rod started pulling pages off his chart tide file, and I kept thinking, Rod, Rod, concentrate. You know, don't get <laughs> lose too many of those, and he <laughs> toss them away. <laughs> and then I I cut 
edges off of I'd taken pictures on my my kids yeah. three kids at the time we had I cu- you know cutting off the edges <laughs> anyway in the when end you're true in the end I threw away the, the corners <laughs> off your photos to anyway, save weight and we left our toothbrushes <laughs> we never took any soap any further we we every day we trimmed yeah so I love these days when people say, oh, we're going, um, or they can't do the shopping, you know, they're shut in the house and they can't, can't go shopping. I <laughs> think, well, you don't actually need no. th- not only three quarters, you know, 99% of what you think is, yeah. is vital, you don't need. And anyway, at last, at last, we were there. We were on the last nunatak, the last bit of land. Right. You know, nearly all those words like nunatak, which are used for weather these days, they're all um, Scandinavian because, or Russian, because it was the Russians, really, that, that did went all the, the weather, yeah. really invented weather forecasts and so on. And they got a lot of the info from the... I mean, I'm told at the moment, the reason the BBC gets the weather wrong all the time is there are no pilots in planes telling them what the weather's really like. Yeah, given It's nothing the, to do with going to uni updates. and... Getting degrees in <laughs> forecasting, you need yeah. a pilot. You just need a pilot above you to tell you that the rain's over Edinburgh, but yeah. not Perth. <laughs> anyway, that's diversion. Um, any, anyway, so, anyway, at last we were on the ice cap, and we had we reckoned we had to go twelve miles a day. So we were going to take thirty-two days to cross Greenland, right? As had Nansen. But he was much heavier, but he had far more people. Right. The first, and the back of the sledge, we had a, a wheel, that you can see in the picture that's behind you. Oh, right, wheel. Yeah, yeah. And that was taken off my bike. So it's, it's just an ordinary bike wheel with a millometer. Now, in our, when I, <laughs> we all had millometers, you don't look at your watch for the distance gone, yeah, or how yeah. many times a wheel had gone around. Did you have that as a little boy? A little no, mileometer, probably not, no. but your dad would no. have had. Anyway, we had a mileometer, and that was the most important thing. Every stop we had, we'd rush back and look at the mileometer. Yeah. And the first day, we made four miles, and we had to make 12. The next <laughs> day, we made two miles, and oh, no. it got worse and worse because we were still on the edge of the ice cap, Yeah. and the thaw had already, already touched it. Anyway, Wet, sticky at last, ice. we got onto it. Realise and the day when we, you know, made our yeah. first twelve miles. The first argument we had was actually the first night on the ice. We knew we were on the ice, and there was n- the horizon was flat, northeast, south, yeah. <laughs> whichever way you looked, it was just flat. And we had our first argument: where should we camp? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I wanted it there, and Rog said. No, that ice looks better there. And Hugh said, no, no, no. You know, we... And then we all started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> what an argument to have. Brilliant. I often say that if I'm giving a slideshow, and if there's dead silence, I realise oh, they're just a load of... <laughs> I don't care what they think about my talk. I'm not going to bother. But if somebody starts laughing, I think, oh, this, this crowd's all right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this school's brilliant. clever. Kids. Anyway... <laughs> So how long did it take anyway, you to get it took, all the way it took across us, it, Well, it took us 32 days, but the, we had various problems. One was we were doing Hughes research. Right, okay. He wasn't taking our blood anymore, but he was collecting our pee. So as so we, we ate, the weight off, ate the weight off the sledge, the other side uh, of the sledge, just, just little <laughs> bottles to go back to the University of Glasgow department <laughs> at 
Glasgow Royal Infirmary, who's yeah. an apartment who would receive all these things, he was piling up his little bottles on the right-hand side <laughs> as we ate our way into the food from the left-hand side. And, and that's why he had to know the time, because this was this new science, which is now cropping up again, because NASA's got going on, yeah, yeah. of chronobiology. And I think the... Well, all the, the scientists said, you know, suddenly onto this word that it really does make a difference at time of day. Yeah. How the body is how the body works made and works yeah. and you know, I think pills often say take at night now instead of just eat them <laughs> whatever you know, it, it's a science and I hear this word chronobiology and and Hugh always say it was invented by his department. It was a new word. Mm. Anyway, every every scientist knows about that nowadays. Anyway, so we were being Hugh's guinea pigs, so we had to stop while he got all his stuff in. And, you know, Roger was really the most important person in the journey because every time we stopped, we'd say to Rog, what's the time? You know, he's the only one that had the faintest idea because he needed for his... Um, for the research. The na- nav- navigation yeah, right. to what the time was. Anyway, anyway... Then we suddenly realised that there was all the wet sog that was beginning to mount up round and about yeah. us was actually turning into streams, little moving water. And, of course, to start with, we could just jump over and pull the sledge, but yeah. they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'd forgotten to say that one of the bits of weight I left behind was my crampons on the other side. And this water then began to flow quite fast, and it was just sheet ice, and I hadn't got my cramps. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd made we'd made our own bindings. Incidentally, I should have said yeah, that before. Yeah. That was important for us because, well, you know nowadays there's Nordic skiers, and there's people in plastic boots who are downhill skiers. Yeah, we needed skis that would ski boots that would take us the distance, four hundred miles. We had to go. You know, the same boots had to get us to the far end. Yeah. And yet, you know, have the com- soft, so they... Anyway, I'd left my crampons behind, so, the, you know, it's just soft underneath, just waiting for your feet to slur, so getting... And then every day the water got wider and wider, and we're beginning to think, oh, we'll never get there, never get there. And I woke up in the night, and there was something different. You know, you knew... You know, you, when yeah. you're camping in the winter, you suddenly think... There's it's something. It's It's happened. And we got out of the tent, and it was just glorious. It had frozen. Yeah. There'd been a night frost, and everything was glittering. Nice. It was just. It was just. No more ethereal. running water. No more running water. No more. No more sog. And so, you know, suddenly we could move, and the sledge came dancing along behind us. Yeah. And Rog kept saying, "Any day now, we'll see the mountains of the west coast." And we got beat Nansen. And, of course, <clears throat> I kept seeing mountains, and you'd watch carefully, and they'd float away. <laughs> but one day, I reckoned that there were the mountains. And, I, you know, I waited for about half an hour before I said to the boys, come and look, come and look, we're there. And sure enough, we all agreed there were the mountains. But, of course, the mountains on the west coast are just about as bad as the mountains yeah. on the east coast, and all they're really doing, both sides, is holding the ice back. The water still wants to get still to the sea. Still wants to get out, yeah. So the ice is thrown up into great mounts, 
great hummocks. Yeah. And they got steeper and steeper and worse and worse, and we'd have to very gingerly pull our sledge with all Hugh's research <laughs> and his money from the oh, medical no. research council and so on, you know, all had to be in those things. So we were very careful with the sledge. Mm. But one moment came, I don't know how, it's probably my fault, it clattered down and bust. So it was decided, it was just as important to get off the ice at the right place it had been to get on. You know, it's rather yeah. like getting to the west coast of Scotland and you're in Loch Fine and you thought you were yeah. five miles from, <laughs> you know, there's water. Like, anyway, so we decided that, that Rog, who was the best with his hands, would stay and mend the sledge with Hugh and Billy and I would walk till we saw a route off right. and that we could get off the ice. And we didn't know how long it was going to take because we were still a mile higher <laughs> than the land, right. and it's very difficult to judge distances like that. You know, you look down, look down looking down, and, well, you know, it's like climbing Sylvan, and you think, am I looking, what am I looking at? You know, <laughs> you're above, anyway, so we walked and we walked and we walked and walked, and suddenly there was pink, and I realised it was purple saxifrage right. growing so we just threw ourselves down. Billy ate it, ate it. I just lay on it. And we were there. Off the ice, o- finally. O- well, we were off the ice, but we still had to get back to the others. Yeah. So we, you know, left most of our gear, set off back. We couldn't understand why they hadn't caught up with us. And eventually we'd taken the binos. We only had one of everything. We had the binos. And we could see them, and they were fussing around something. We thought... What on earth has happened? So we pushed on. They wouldn't pay any attention. We were shouting at them. They wouldn't pay any attention. And when we got closer, we realised there were a whole lot of things on the ground. Thousands of beer cans. Thousands. <laughs> and they were drinking them. Pull a look, have a go. And what had happened, we didn't know this till weeks after, the Americans still had a... Um, uh, a, ra- a, a landing place right? because they still used it um, Americans still used it anyway the doctor had come out and Jet said you've got to throw away all everything that's in the freezers because the temperature's got too low everything, everything has got to go so they reluctantly took everything out over the sea and dropped it and some Danish, it was the Danish who, who actually set the rules in Greenland at the time, some yeah. Dane said, you can't do that. That's absolutely, you know, against every conceivable thing. You've got to pick up all those cans away from where the Greenlanders will get them. Yeah. So they, they did that and dropped them inland, little knowing a Scottish expedition <laughs> would be coming by. <laughs> anyway, we've got a lot of pictures of us. I hate beer, but I'd love that. Anyway, it was good that we, day. It was good that day. We didn't get very far that day, but we did get off the ice and sledge <laughs> back to its original weight with the beer in it. Brilliant. You and took all the beer with you? We took, well, we took like, some, some of the beer. Could. But the funny thing was, we did come to a, this RAF, not RAF, American Air Force base, which was now, because of NASA, was beginning to put itself together yeah, again. Yeah. And the boys, all the boys would talk about was the meal we were going to get there. And they thought it would be steak, meat. I longed for a lettuce and just longed to... Just a bit of veg. Anyway, we got there and the first American met me and said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, it's breakfast time. 
So um, we can't give you anything to drink. And we said, oh, that doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, we didn't say except. And he said, right, come on in. The guys are all into their cornflakes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we didn't no. wait long. Oh, and they said, do you want to lift out? We've got a plane going. We said, yeah. no, no, we're making the journey. And we've got another 100 miles to go, actually, yeah. down the coast yeah. till we got to where we were. Where you needed to be. We needed to be. And our kids were being flown in because... We couldn't take them with us on this journey, but I, well, we both always reckoned that if it was so important a journey to us, we wanted our kids to be part of it. Yeah. So I'd got a job of being a collector of plants for the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens. And I have a girlfriend, or I had, she's dead now, Heather. And Heather went to Kew, the gardens in London, and yeah. said she was going to Greenland, this place, anything they'd like her to collect. And they said, yes, grass. Very interesting, the grasses. So she said, well, I suppose I know a grass from another. And they said, oh, do you? You know the 252, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so they gave her a book. Yeah. Anyway, so we were greenhorns at this, but we had said we would go to this particular site where we knew the Greenlanders came every summer um, to collect the reindeer and catch the fish, which they freeze and so on, yeah, to yeah. then go back to the coast where they now live, mostly, um, their winter food. So we'd arranged, and um, and actually the Danish, um, the Danish whatever it's called, said they would fly out our kids with Heather. She'd bring our kids out, and we'd meet them at this airport. And the boys, and they were also bringing out our kayaks, two ca canoes, which you can take in a plane our, in our day because we used these canoes called foul boats. So we knew we had to get to that place where the plane before the plane got in at a certain date. And we were so loving being on the land, we were just sort of drifting down the coastline till we got to the Sondre Stromfjord, the place it's called. And sure enough, <laughs> the you know we were standing there on the runway. The plane came in and out got our kids and Heather, and she'd been to the big fruit market in London, brought a whole tray of peaches. Oh yes. And we just you know our lips were yeah. gone from all the, eating these soft, soft peaches. It was just. And, and, you know, and there were, there were the kids yeah. and Heather. So the boys put the canoes together and they set off to go to the end of Nansen's journey, which was still 100 miles off on the coastline. Yeah. And Heather and I went, um, well, in their canoes actually, down the coast about 10 miles to a lovely valley where the Greenlanders had set up camp. And I arrived, well, Heather and I arrived with the kids. And the Greenlanders... I, you know, I, I just love the Greenlanders. They, if anything goes wrong, they laugh. They nobody, they don't say, oh, you know, oh, the no. canoes upturned. Yeah. They just think, gosh, you know, I'm alive. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. They, they, the whole attitude to life, and they immediately swallowed us instead of thinking, you know, who are these frightful, strange foreigners? Yeah. And so soon everybody was picking any grass and bringing it to us. And Heather and I, you know, we, we'd, we'd learned what we could and we'd got, you know, our books laid out, and then the next morning there'd be all sorts of extra handfuls of grass. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyway, I'm told, though, really? that if you go to the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens into the right bit of it, they yeah. can still produce M. Simpson The samples collection. that you guys brought back. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, Love it. so we spent um, six weeks there right, with these Greenlanders, and Rona, the daughter, my only daughter I keep talking about, she was, I think she was five, 
And there was another girl, a Greenlander girl of five. They didn't speak a word of each other's language yeah. at the beginning. They never stopped talking to each other, and they didn't speak a word of each other's language at the end. <laughs> they just talked to each other and made dollies and yeah. sing, oh, played brilliant. exactly the same games as brilliant. kids you know, the world over. Three, I think she was three. She couldn't have been five. Anyway, and the boys, of course, had endless boys to play yeah, with yeah. who, you know, there was no stand, stand there, dad will catch the fish, you know, they, the boys did, they, just, all, did. they all did the same things. And yeah. Heather and I were just swallowed by the women who were thrilled that, you know, we'd, but our clothes, you know, because everything they wore, they make. Mm. Anyway, it was a, it was a magic time yeah. and then eventually the guys came back and we flew home and that was that. Wow. And you went, so you came home and you, you kept going back to Greenland quite a lot. You brought well, your... we did because Hugh was, because his research got more and more interesting. Yeah, yeah. But um, then, you know, time passed. Rory was born in 68 and he was, yeah, it was 1968 by that time. There was great talk about who was going to get to the North Pole. The American who claimed to have, who was a guy called Peary, yeah. the whole world thinks that it's an absolute fraud, except the American Geographic Royal... Well, it's not wrong. The American Geographic Society reckoned that he got to the pole. Nobody else does. So a friend of ours um, decided that he would go to the... definitely be the first... not the first Brit, but the first to get to the North Pole. I mean, um, it was just a time when... Russia was coming into the great scientific yeah. world and NASA was going and underneath subs were surfacing near the pole and all that stuff. Um, but this friend of us anyway, and we said, but that's that's not right. You can't say you're an exp a polar explorer when you've got the Canadian Air Force was going to renew anything he needed and yeah. could fly him out and some of his team, like the doctor, was going to get swapped that's not that's not polar exploring. That, that's luxury holiday. We exactly <laughs> we will do it as um, the original yeah. explorers. We will do. We will get to the North Pole. <laughs> and that was the story that so was that, in the film that didn't go so well that trip. Well, it, it, it was a it was a disaster. But <laughs> well, and, I mean. We don't need to go in the story. You know, we we set off and eventually and we got further and further. And at last we got onto the ice yeah. clear, where we thought we could get there. But we, well, first of all, Hugh needed the radio because he was still doing his research to give us the time. He's, yeah, he needed yeah. the time. But I had undertaken to send new, newspaper. We, we got a contract with the Express. Mm -hmm. So it was actually called, heavens, it was called the Daily Telegraph. Cancel that. The, no, it, the trip is actually called the, the Daily Telegraph North Pole Expedition. Right. Got that? Got that. Oh, it's on the record now. I, I That's did, it. It's on the I record did, now. It was the, I always did have a thing with the Express, any other journeys. and always yeah. got, You got, actually got paid for articles in those days. That'd be nicer. And there were masses of mags. And anyway, anyway. So we had this radio, which was important for Hughes' research. And everything else. And got a bit warm in the tent, we thought, surprising, looked out, and the whole thing was on fire. 
Oh, no. And it was the generator had gone. Yeah. New generator we'd got in Minneapolis, which is, you know, everybody said, this is this is what you need. Mm. And this is... And anyway, it had gone on fire. So Hugh took one look and said, we'll have to go back. I said, don't be silly. Go back. We wouldn't dream of it. And I thought Roger would be on my side. Anyway, we argued for two nights and three days, and then common sense struck. <laughs> well, what really got me to agree with them was Roger said, if we go back quickly... We'll still have time to set off again. Right. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> Let's go. Anyway, we turned around to go back. Yeah. Now, we had 30 days, 32 days food, which would get us to the North Pole, because that's where we were going to get... I was going... We were going to meet a Russian expedition at the North Pole. That was all... That's why we had to... Yeah. We needed the navigation, because the North Pole moves, I think it's something like six miles a day. So, you know, where do you go? There's no land. Yeah. You have to know exactly, exactly where you where are to have this rendezvous. And we reckon, or Hugh reckoned, we'd never make it, make the rendezvous. Mm. <clears throat> so we could have used our food to get to, the, to get to the North Pole, which we didn't know where it was, or we could get ourselves off the ice. Yeah. And as Roger kept saying, we'll just, we'll just get a new, we'll buy a new generator, we'll come back. So we turned round and I thought, well, we'll just follow our tracks. Well, of course, <laughs> they last for about 20 minutes because all the time you're, you're on the sea. Yeah. So it's moving. It's not land. <laughs> you know, it's like walking over thinner, you know. Yeah. And now and then you'd look behind you and your ski tracks would be in the air. <laughs> Because the ice, you know, all the time the sea's, the sea's moving. Broken and, and like, pushed that bit up. And... There's terrific pressure. Yeah. Crossing Greenland, it had been the silence that I'd thought was just gobsmacking. Yeah. The noise crossing the sea ice is incredible. It's groans and muffles and, you know, it's, it's just all the time the ice is, is going under pressure yeah. like that. Moving, or moving all the time. And can you feel it? You can feel it, and oh. particularly if you're lying on the on the in lying on yeah. it, with your head, even the head on, you know, on your sleeping bag and so on, you can feel the trembling. And sometimes you can, you know, you really feel a great as if it's an earthquake, and then you you hear the cracking as the waves gone underneath, and yeah. you can, you know, you can hear it, and you think, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And the wind is always howling. Yeah. There is always a wind. <laughs> so, you know, it's going round and round the poles like yeah. that. You know, we knew how many days we had, mm. and we reckoned that we could make it, and we were hoping to come off. Um, we knew that the Canadian... They'd been doing a polar shelf reading for... They'd been at this job for, you know, some time, and we yeah. knew people that had worked... worked geologists who'd worked with them. We knew there was a hut... Um, where the, on the sea ice, and that would be where we'd actually get ashore at. It was yeah. it wasn't quite where we'd set off from, but we, we knew all that. Anyway, we put the last of the paraffin into our into the Primus. Yeah, and I remember you saying, "We have to get off today. That's it." <laughs> you know, and I was saying, "Well, we've got enough food for perhaps another day." 
no, we have to do it today. Anyway, you know, we pushed on and, and we could see um, the height of land. It's the most northerly bit of land in the Americas and we could see this yeah. Cape Sparbo, it's called. And we could see it. And then we ran between us and it was open water. We were, we were too late. The whole mass was had moved away had, from the land. moving away oh. from the land. And whichever direction you know, we went in, there was no land. You know, they're talking at the moment, what are they calling it? That you can fly back from um, Paris. You can fly back from any European country. Yeah. There's a flight, they're calling it a flight bridge or an air, br- air bridge. Air bridge, air that's bridge. it, yeah. There's no air bridges there. No air bridges. We reckoned that somebody had to stay inside the sleeping bag. We'd used the last of our paraffin by yeah. the time, you see. Somebody had to stay inside the sleeping bag. We just had one for the three of us um, to stop it freezing. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be... You needed you know, to keep then some we heat needed in some it. Heat. Yeah. Minus 45 we had for 30. And anyway, we... And that's why I was useful on this trip incident, because I've got smaller hands than the boys, and yeah. the primus would... Even the paraffin would ice up. You get ice crystals on the paraffin. Right, on, the, on the paraffin, so it was my job. Always, you know, I could yeah. clean. It. Anyway, the nipple of the primus became the great thing in our life. Where's how's a nipple of the primus? <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard people talking about you know this and that, and I think, oh, they don't mean the primus. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so we took it in turns to walk. Up and down the edge, you know, yeah. is there anywhere where the where it had frozen, because Roger reckoned that it, you know, was getting colder and that it, that it would. Be. It was on Rod. Roger came back and said, "I think it's okay." So we bundled everything into the sledge and all the rest of it. And Jin, I don't know if you've ever been. Have you ever gone out to Loch Lomond and thought the ice was good and you could skate, and nope. you realise well if you do that and realise it's pretty thin and you want to hurry. But that's the one thing you mustn't do. You yeah. have to go you slowly. That wave. Exactly, yeah. the wave goes like this. So you go. You have to go gingerly. You know, and we were creeping over this ice, and all I wanted to do was just oh. get cracking. <laughs> anyway, eventually, we were off it, and, yeah. and there was a wall of ice where the sea, where the waves had broken onto it and then frozen, and there was a great wall of of ice, about 60 feet, I suppose. You know, and we were hacking at it with our ski sticks. We didn't... Anyway, anyway, and I thought, this cannot be the end, you know, the end. This yeah. cannot be. We have... Surely we'll get up this wall. Well, of course we did. And there was this hut. We made our way to the hut. And I had a feeling that the Daily... Editor, I had a sort of thing in my mind that the editor of the Daily Telegraph would be waiting at, hut, at the hut yeah. for his... Requiem, you know, for his <laughs> bits for of paper, waiting and... for the reports. But but funnily enough, he wasn't. Well, it wasn't there, no. <laughs> anyway, we went in, broke into the hut, and there was a mirror. And I thought, oh, I'll look like a real polar explorer now. And I looked at my face, and because I'd had no soap for all this time, I'd got beautiful skin. <laughs> and I didn't look like a polar explorer at all. <laughs> anyway, we took Roger's boots off. And the smell was just Ugh. overpowering. And he'd got bad frostbite on his feet. So we reckoned he could go no further. Yeah. So Hugh and I would set off. This was the intention. As fast as we could, with, we weren't going to take the tent. It was now midsummer. Yeah. We wouldn't take the tent. We'd travel really light. And we'd make our way to the American base. They had a base 
oh, I can't remember how many miles, it was right round Ellesmere Island anyway. It was a long way to go, but that was the only one we could think of doing. So Hugh and I set off like that, and we reckoned, you didn't know night from day by that time. Yeah. We'd go by, by Hugh's watch, which was still going, you know, and every three hours we'd stop and huddled up under, we didn't have the tent, huddled up underneath what, what put our, any, anyway, anyway. We did that for about four days, and then I saw a shadow in the snow. I didn't hear it, but I saw a shadow of a plane. All right. You know, it's happened to me here in the Gorms. You can you see a shadow before you yeah, then look that? around. You look What's that? You, see you look it. up. Yeah. Or the man with the knife behind you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and I remember saying jokingly to you, "Oh, the editor's come," <laughs> but it, of course it was Rog. Yeah. A friend of ours who'd invented blow up. Um, he was a Canadian, and he'd invented blow up tires that a plane could land on the snow. That was All a right, new okay. thing, and he, you know, he's made his. Million yeah. in his name, big fat bush big plane flat, tires, huge yeah. things. And um, he had won the date for when we said we'd be back hadn't happened. I didn't. Te- we didn't mention was our kids were all at school yeah. in the most northerly school of the Canadians. We'd left left them there, so we had actually said what date we'd be back. Anyway, this pal of ours, Weldy Fitz, he was called, had. I don't know, he'd got a bit of a bee in his bonnet. He would see, you know, he told us before that you could never get rescued a small party like that on the pack ice. You just mm. wouldn't be seen. Nowadays, of course, you can see anything with well, everything. Anyway, yeah. there's no point in expecting anybody to come and rescue you because <laughs> he wouldn't see you. Anyway, he got worried, so he'd go into that hut. Right. Well, I think Roger had burnt... Yes, Roger burnt his boots, he said. He reckoned he wouldn't need them again, so he burnt <laughs> his boot, boots and so he'd seen the smoke. And anyway, he'd picked up Rog. And so we piled into his plane and he... Yeah. We made our way <clears throat> back to where we'd left the kids at this American base. And got out and our boy, Robin was seven. And he said, Mum, you said we didn't get, have to go back to school till September. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I love it. That, look, surely you've got enough. That's half past two. Yes, I think I think we do. Look, I, I don't know. Then you've got. I mean, I don't know what you want, but well, thank you very much. That was that was amazing. That was a brilliant. Wow, just wow. Thank you so much to Myrtle for sitting down with me, inviting me into her home. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, please help us in wishing Myrtle a happy 90th birthday by leaving a comment or send us an email. We will pass them straight on. Um, that was incredible. Uh, and remember, when you're getting out there, out to the crags, enjoying the sunny weather, please don't make any mistakes. Do your body checks. <laughs>